and welcome to 10 Very Big Books, a Malazan read-through podcast. My name is Peter Bond. I've read every book in the main series. However, my co-hosts are reading the series for the first time. With me today is my friend and closest confidant, India Jones. Here. And uh, our producer, AJ Faleri. How are the levels looking? The levels are great. And finally, he's the son of darkness, the main of chaos, the lord of moonspawn, and the knight of high house dark, Joshua Dean Baker! <laughs> it's me! <laughs> I literally wish that I had a cool intro. I just feel like every time I'm like, you know, present. <laughs> you did just really, say you really here. did a class roll call to me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say this though: it's nice to have consistency. I'm always like, "What's it this week?" <laughs> I hope I, rec- I hope I recognize the Who reference. Who am I today? <laughs> yeah. And thanks to Harrison Figura for sending that in. Um, thanks, Harrison. That was a good one, Harrison. I just yeah. want to say, you know, you, y'all text me throughout the week and. We're going to talk about all the chapters in depth, of course, but I was a little surprised. It seemed like most of you are actually pretty into these chapters. And I was like, I always find for me at this point in the book, since I know how each one ends, I'm always like really giddy and I'm like, let's just get on with it, you know? So I just feel at this point, I become very impatient. But it seemed like the three of you were somewhat hot on these chapters, or am I wrong? I liked it. It's pretty solid. I liked them a lot. I liked the first three better than the last one i thought the first i thought they were great though the first two were actually i thought they really lured me in probably because the the first one was felicin though and it's i don't think we get enough of her in this so it's really it's really interesting to actually um hear from her perspective um so that made me happy i think i also think for me it's like at, at like uh the as i've said the ending of memories of ice is like one of the greatest things i've ever read and like now knowing like the Oh, this book's gonna probably do something similar. Like I, I'm like I'm excited to get that high again of like how does it all work? Just kind of see how how things will converge this time. Yes, yes. I will say though, this time they threw they threw a lot of they they threw a lot at me, a lot of historical things. There's a lot, all a of lot. which I have no idea about. So I'm really excited mm. to explore that a little further. Mm. There was actually one moment in one of these chapters, in the very beginning of one of the chapters, they they go really deep into like Kalanved and stuff, and I and I think I got it all. <laughs> I felt really I feel really good about myself with uh with cutters, crocus, yeah, 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 like yeah, just yeah. nailing yeah. it. Yeah, that was yeah. pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get uh, let's get it started at hot. Let's get it started in here. What? <laughs> let's get it started. <laughs> That's right, AJ. Roll the music. <laughs> We're using only Black Eyed Peas tracks this episode. That's how you know we're feeling spicy. Oh my god. We're recording two episodes today, and I don't know if you can tell from the energy. Guys, have I told you that I once played in a band and we played Let's Get It Started in Here at a Wilmington Blue Rocks uh, baseball can't. game we in can't. front of a huge crowd? We can't get I'm into actually, this. I'm busy starting the show. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I was kidding. Chapter 18. Felicin recalls her youth, where Tabor was recreating a famous battle with her toys. As Shaikh, she looks out across the desert in front of her, where Corbelodon wants to engage the 14th. She speaks with Mathok about the battle and the commanders. Then they speak of cold and hot iron, wondering which will triumph. Mathok is skeptical of Corbelodon and thinks perhaps Karsa and Leon wield the will of Cold Iron. 
With Leoman's riders, we are introduced to Korob Tenulus. Sworn to Leoman, they will soon attack the 14th despite Shayik's orders. Lorik visits Karsa's Grove. He senses the magic within and reflects on both Shayik and Tavor. He thinks more on the politics of the camp and wonders if the goddess is too strong for Shayik to control. She then speaks with Felicin Younger about the camp, orphans, and Karsa. Shayik struggles, but then enters Haboric's tent. Powerful wards freer of the whirlwind goddess's influence, and there for a moment, she is Felicin Perrin, truly. She thinks on Felicin Younger and Tavor. She speaks with Haboric briefly, but then he pushes her outside of the tent and the goddess returns to her. Vidithal rests in shadow, thinking on Febril and his schemes and of shadow itself. Corblodom sits with his assassins, thinking on the mission he is sending them on, and then he goes to speak with Chemist Rilo, and together they speak of Haboric, Shaikhs, and the other commanders. They clash over dangers in the camp and go their separate ways. Skalara, a woman who had spent the night with Corblo, staggers through the camp thinking on her past, then sends a message and coins to Bidithal. Haboric finds Felicin and Lorek speaking in the grove, and they speak more of what is to be done about Bidithal. Korab, amongst Leoman's warriors, attack the Malazans, but only briefly. They draw the Malazans' attentions, and then their horse warriors ride after them in pursuit. The mage Febble sits to watch the sunrise, thinking on the goddess and Shaikh. Shaikh then sits to join him, and together they speak of power, the whirlwind, and what is coming. So in this chapter, we come back to Reriku and we really are touching in with all of these plot lines as we, at this point in the story, we really come to understand all of the different in-factions within the rebellion. And we understand all these different people who have their own ends and kind of what they want out of it. So it starts with Felicin and uh, speaking with Corblo Dom, and together they're speaking about different types of commanders and reflecting on what it is to be a leader like this. So, Josh, what did you think about this conversation about cold and hot iron and uh, them reflecting on her leadership and perhaps the adjunct of war leadership? I thought it was one of the singular dumbest conversations I've ever read. <laughs> okay. Why so? Because it boiled down. Here's what it boiled down to to me. Svelison was like, yes, this will work. And Mothuk goes, do you ever think about thinking maybe it wouldn't and then preparing for that eventuality? And then Shaikh going, well, fuck, who does that? And the answer is smart people who are good at battle and don't rely on overwhelming advantages and assume that the people they're fighting against are also smart, which seems to be a thing you would do. And it just like this whole conversation of like hot and cold iron. I was like, you just mean dumb and not dumb. Is, that's all I could think the whole time. Because here's the deal. You remember in fucking Deadhouse Gates, Coltane just wins every time because Coltane just thinks real good. And every time everyone's just like, but Corbolo, Dom, he's got all these people and he's doing this. But I've, I like looking back, it's like, oh yeah, Corbolo Dom just does one thing each battle. He like does not have contingencies for if thing A does not work. Hmm. And so I just like, I was reading it and I was just like, they can't. Oh uh, no, these characters can't be that dumb. No. And then they were like, Who, who's the one cold iron? And I was like, it's obviously Leoman. 
it was just really silly to me. I don't know. Like, I get how it's like, I get how it's supposed to be this really big moment of like, oh, Felison having doubt or Shaikh having doubt. It just, it just didn't ring true for me because I was just like, how are you that dumb? Like, you never think that you're like, they were like, oh yeah, this all works so long as they do this thing that Corbolo Dom has prepared them to do. And it was like, they're just not going to do that then. Like, the other army's just not going to do that. That's, I mean, that's easy. That's, that's first grade, baby. Interesting. Um, yeah, I agree. I do think the conversation's a bit reductive, if that's, like... Yeah. Well, I just don't understand the point of using, like, cold iron and hot iron. It's, like, impulsive or, like, calculated. Like, why can't yeah, we that's just, like... like... Yeah, Th- that was the thing. It was, like, we gave this really badass name to just, like... Are you a type A or are you a type yeah. B person? And then they're acting like it's like hard to tell the difference. Like, oh, well, he, only he can tell you who's cold iron and who's hot yeah. iron. And it was like, so ah. silly. It was so much. Yeah, he, I agree. Hot iron, Kaladin brood. He just marches towards that city and he's like, you know what? Worst comes worse. Hammer. Got it. I mean, <laughs> don't I forget. Don't... <laughs> I got to say, I do think I like I think it's fun to that this little dunk you're doing. I do th- I do, I do think it's getting at something a little true, but I agree it's it is a little reductive. That's I'll I'll see you do that, you know. Thank you. Like I under the concept is very important, and I get that, but like I just can't imagine this close to the battle is the first time they're being like, man, what if this didn't work? <laughs> like that feels Plan like a, uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> so uh, I mean, I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this though. Having having read further, like the other chapters, I mean, I do believe most of it stems from Corbolo Dom being the epitome of thinks he's the smartest in the room, and like, I mean, that's it's just that seems to st- a lot of it stems from that, and everyone being like, he probably is, yeah, when it comes to battle. Now I'm gonna come to you, AJ. So, Laoric has really emerged as a point of view character in this story at this point, and even more so later on. And at this point, uh, he goes to Karsus Grove and he speaks with. He speaks with Felsen Younger, and they kind of reflect on what to do. And I'd love to know what you think. We can talk more about it later on when he goes on his whole dream journey thing. <laughs> um, but how you're feeling about Loric, and well, what do you think? What do you think his position at is within this camp right now? Uh, I mean, his position kind of seems like he is now more concerned with his his stuff. Like he obviously is like worried about Felsen Younger and stuff, um, but is now with his familiar gone and whatnot i feel like he's now like oh gotta find my dad really gotta find my dad uh so i don't know i think it's um i think he is less a part of i mean in this chapter at least because because when he when later when we come back and we talk to him and whatnot stuff kind of shifts uh but i think as of right now uh in this chapter he's kind of just like trying to figure out trying to figure that out like what his place is in this camp now um trying to feel that out i guess Mm. well part of a lot of what he's reflecting on here too is if the whirlwind goddess is too powerful for shaik and what's this blurring line between felison and the whirlwind goddess which brings us to the next scene where she enters haboric's tent She's freed of the whirlwind goddess's influence, and then for a moment, she's kind of has this lucid conversation with Haboric. India, what did you think of this conversation, and what did you think of seeing Felicin like this? I liked that um, <clears throat> part. I think it was interesting because I, I obviously realized that there was a change and a difference in her personality, but then to see her like snap out of it and come back to it, like you forget how kind of she was before, where she was just like, 
angry and she she had so many emotions. So for them to like flood back so rapidly and to read that was really interesting. Um, I was a little bit puzzled though by why Haboric, like when she started to start questioning, like, wait, where's Felsen? I haven't seen her in a while. Like, like I don't, why are they, they what I, I'm just wondering what the bigger plan is that everyone has that she just has no idea about um, mm. and how we pushed her out of the tent. And then she obviously had the goddess come back and totally like forgot what she was thinking and just was like, Oh yeah, everything's fine. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was, it was really interesting to see her come back for a second and um, just to see like such a stark difference between how cold and like just unaware the, the whirlwind goddess Shaikh, whatever is compared to Felsen, who's just very much like in her feelings and just m- more human, obviously. I think I kind of bounce off this scene in a way because Although I like seeing Felicin, I do appreciate the kind of ambig- ambiguity and the kind of metaphorical line we're walking when we're talking about blurring the line between Felis and Perrin and feeling so possessed by vengeance, you know, or so possessed by fury, these emotions or something. So I think to make it very literal and then be like, oh, no, she like actually forgot who actually she was kind of brings a clarity to that point that I think kind of undermines the symbolism that resonates for me when I think about that. Josh, what did you think about this scene in Haborg's tent? I think it was like the first time that I felt like a positive feeling towards Felicin in quite a while. Um, I, I, I really felt bad for her because it just, I mean, she's so trapped within within this whirlwind goddess, you know, fragment of a worn whatever that like, I don't know. It, it really felt like it feels like she has a she has hate towards her sister, and this whirlwind goddess just took that and like just made like oh I can work with that, and that's like the only thing that it cares about in terms of the person Felicin. I don't know. I felt really bad for her. Yeah, and it was interesting to see her still like connect with Hibor. Like like she's been very much using Hiboric this book, you know, rather like especially with that whole tea thing and just casually revealing that she had lied to him the whole time. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I felt I felt uh, it was a nice moment between the two of them, and it also showed that like you know Haborik still has some uh, not fatherly but like you know protectorly I don't know what I'm looking for you know feelings towards her. Well, how did you feel then when Haborik kind of at the end kind of abruptly pushes her out of the tent and kind of forces the goddess back onto her, so to speak? I think he's smart. He has his reasons for what he's doing. I I do think he is doing something. I just don't know what. And yeah, I find agreed. It- and the tables have turned, man. She was manipulating him, and I, I don't know if he's manipulating her, but he's definitely keeping something from her. So mm-hmm. I do think they they have such a changing relationship. It's really dynamic. And sometimes, like earlier in the book, they're crying together, and like he really is her only support in that moment. And then mm-hmm. other times, they're like really manipulating and playing these games with each other, and like trying to like this type of emotional chess and it's very not loving you know it's very kind of hmm. toxic yeah so yes 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 it's it's a complicated thing these two find themselves in so uh we see uh we touch in with bitathal a bit but i'd like to more shift the focus to corblo dom who we see speak to his assassins and camist relo and, and they're uh they're plotting more and talking about what they want out of uh the next few days. So Josh, you're raising your hand. Uh, are you a 
Corblo Dom enthusiast. Oh, please yes, no. I want to pop in. Josh is recurring. Steven Erickson is a weeb corner. Uh, it, this just, like, I'm, I'm watching a lot of One Piece right now, and there's just times when, like, the bad guy gathered, like, all of a sudden he's like, yes, my top people, who I won't say the names of, because if I said names, the audience would have to worry about you. So they're just his top people, and it's just like, oh, you're all death gonna die really quick, and Corbel Adam's gonna be like, what? I played so hard for this! And I just can't wait for that. I will say, to me, and uh, Corbel Adam comes up later, um... Corblo Dom is among, is maybe the amongst the worst people in the series for me, you know? And oh, yeah. I think it's because he truly doesn't believe in anything. And, you know, to paraphrase the big Lebowski, you know, say what you want about the tenets of national socialism, but at least it's an ethos, you know? And I think the same thing could be said about Bidithal or like the Children of the Dead Seed or these truly terrible people, you know, they at least believe in something and are trying to transform the world to fix their deeply flawed and toxic political outlook, you know, but like mm-hmm. Corblo Dom believes in nothing besides <laughs> him, his own pursuit of power, you know, yeah. and is truly kind of a sniveling, just like, I don't know, egotist. And is doing the dude sucks. and is doing nothing but pursuing his own prestige and rank. So to me, that is particularly terrible. You know, I'm not saying it's it's worse than like the terrible crimes committed by Biddle or these things, but it's per you know, I don't know. He reminds me of Calor, but like Facts. I'm not intimidated by him. <laughs> you know? Calor is an ancient unbelievably old man, still fast enough to murder people. Coral Dom's just kinda like a dude. Sucks. <laughs> Scalara is a new character we meet. Um, <laughs> do the three? Segway. Do the three of you have uh, thoughts about her? I'm uh, so sick of the. I, no, I don't have thoughts about her. She's. What's the point? Why? Why are we introducing this new character to give like? I, she's a spy. I just. I don't. I feel like if we're going to bring her into this, then we must be giving Bidithal or Bidith, whatever his name is, a, a larger plot. Mm. Because what is the point of bringing her, his little minion, into well, I it? I feel like, uh, I was going to say, it feels like, um, like Steve has said in the interviews, I think, that uh, he pre- he explicitly doesn't let us into certain people's mm-hmm. heads. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, like the dude with Leoman, I'm pretty sure we actually haven't been in Leoman's head. No, there's... Or if we no, haven't... You haven't. Yeah. So, I, like, that's... Like, I was... Like, when looking at this thing, I was just like, man, why do we meet that guy? And I was like, oh, it's because we can't be in Leoman's head. And there's probably someone else's head that we can't be in mm-hmm. for whatever reason, so we have to have a third party. Slash, I guess we do just need to see, like, the transfer information, and, like, we, we learn stuff through her. Yeah. Um, and I, I think true. this this makes Bidithal less of, like, a... a like omnipotent just kind of like scary dude who knows stuff somehow and it's like we're seeing how he's like getting information from at least you know if if he has scalar there are probably others you know uh in different we know those others because like those people who are digging through the refuse pits are also people part of bidathal's people so Haborik uh, speaks with uh, Pelson and Lorp in the Grove, and uh, together they're kind of thinking about what Bidithal might be doing. So Josh, we just spoke about him a little bit with Scalara, but what's your read going on with what Bidithal's up to and why they're keeping around? They've kept him around for a while, but 
you know, there's this kind of delicate game everyone's trying to play in a camp. So do you think you have any more insight about this? Well, I think this showed me how much more, how do I say this? Like, up until this section of the book, I thought that this plot against Felicin was, like, competent. And I'm slowly realizing it is more just kind of people like, man, I really hope this part works. In, like, a lot of ways, you know? Like, I didn't expect Bitiful to, like, okay, let me see if I get this right for the, for my sake, okay? So, in this camp, there is Shaikh. Okay, who wants to uh, destroy people because that's what Felicin wants right now is to destroy Tavor. And maybe Shaik has, maybe the whirlwind goddess has another motive, but that's the main one right now. Okay, in the camp, Corbolo Dom wants to use this defeat to, or he wants to do stuff until he's the emperor, basically. Sure. Um, yeah. Through treachery, Bidithal wants to create his army of people and become the Lord of Shadow. I think. I know that's just kind of reductive, like reducting a lot. Yes, but that's his whole thing is he's trying to take back Shadow from, uh, uh, what's his face? Shadow Throne? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. he talks about okay. Shadow Throne and stuff. Okay. Uh, and then the the last one, Febril, and oh, sorry. And Bidithal is not working with Corbolo Dom. He is just agreeing to not get in his way. And he's been the one who's been waiting to give his answer to Corbolo Dom. Yeah, and Febril, he's actively working. I think yep, that happens ahead. later on, right? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm not saying just to them, like, overall. And then uh, Febril is working with Corbolo Dom, and he just wants the Malazans out of here for good. He wants this to return to the Seven Cities. Yeah. And just be Seven Cities. Okay. Um. Okay. It's still it's still a lot. Like, I, I'm understanding more, and I'm understanding more of how dangerous this is for all of them, because, like, none of them really are, like, fully set, and, like, there are three high mages, and if one of them decided to cause a ruckus, it would be a whole stunt. Hmm. Uh, we're almost near the end of this chapter, but I did want to quick briefly touch on the final scene is Febril, and he's kind of reflecting, and we kind of, for the first time, hear more about this character and learn about his past. And this mm -hmm. ma this high mage actually hates Malazans and is very mm -hmm. much believes in the cause, you know? And Shai comes to speak with him, and together they speak about the sunrise. So, India, what did you think of this conversation between Shai and Febril at the sunrise? Um, I think that she was kind of, I, I wouldn't even call it a conversation. She seemed a little bit passively saying, watch yourself because I'm watching you and whatever you think is happening could really be something else. And to be honest, you think you know my motives, but you don't know me. That was my whole idea of her, her sassy little conversation with him. I thought it was interesting because he did get, um, I'm so sick of these people thinking like it's like literally every single character in like the whirlwind area. They obviously they all have their own like agendas and they all think they're the smartest freaking person. And they all are like, oh, yeah, I'm lying to him, but he doesn't know it. La -di -da. And this guy, he he's so freaking annoying. So I was happy that she just kind of like popped in and was like, hey, I'm watching you. I see you. And I think he got a little spooked. So I I really liked that. I just like that. she Like. She's no, she's no, she's no fool. And I'm, I'm glad that she's going around and letting people know. So that's she, what I thought about that. She was definitely being a little shady in that conversation. It was a lot of, it was a lot of shade. It was a lot of passive aggressive conversation and I was here for it. I thought it was really good. I mean, I don't know what, what the heck she was talking about still, of mm. course, with all of like the around the way, like, well, you think, but then like something like it was just, 
I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. She was confusing, but she was threat. I think that she was kind of conveying like, don't fuck with me. And I think that she got that point across. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, and I think it is best that that whole vibe is best summed up at the like one of the last things she says to Febril is talking about uh, how the whirlwind wall is like almost opaque and like messes with light. And so she she tells him, like, oh, no, you think you're watching the sunrise, but you're actually facing the completely wrong direction. So, I mean, like, it's, it's still a nice sunrise, but like you don't really know anything, <laughs> but just like really subtly. <laughs> and, then, and then the last the la- the last line of that chapter is somehow the newly arriving day had lost its glamour. And it's just like really, which, really Which is great because obviously it's her dunking on him but yeah. also it's kind of symbolic obviously so yeah, yeah. i want to say do you know what's really nice is how uh in the whirlwind we are like as indy just pointed out it's just it's just dude who thinks he's the smartest in the room city right <laughs> all of them and then you get into the you get to the Ma- the, the Malazan army and they're all like oh i don't know i'm just i'm just here i don't really <laughs> i mean i am like a veteran of like countless fights and wars but i'm i'm sure you know it's you know i shouldn't do it. No, you know no, there's fine. a pecking order like, they you are know all just they're so so like not trying to be the most important in the room they're like that's how you get killed i'm just doing me here <laughs> love it i mean i don't know if i would characterize Malazan marines that way but i do know what you're getting at there's a difference between yeah. the two armies for sure i mean the ones that we've seen like the ones that we see the most over there are always like uh, that, ain't, that ain't me. I don't know what you're talking about. This brings us to part of the show where we want to thank all, everyone who supports us on Patreon. Um, it's very kind and generous and thank you for your support. This week we especially wanted to thank Ryan, Nick, Vanessa, End Horizon, Chris, Christian, Edgelin, and Frank. We'd also like to thank Jan, Michael, Bradley, Anselm, John, Gerald, Sean, and Matt. As always, thank you so much. I, I realized the last couple of episodes I have uh, like said where we are at the time of the recording, but by the time I record the outro for this episode, we are going to be like beyond that. Uh, so I'm just going to say thanks. Uh, we're continuously blown away, and you all rule very much. Don't ever change. AJ, read the summary. Okay. <laughs> Chapter 19. Gamut and Tavor look over the ones killed the night before in Leoben's ambush. They discuss commanders, including Dasimul Tor, and then Gamut says he will command his soldiers himself. Fiddler has arranged a scorpion competition where soldiers will bet on the creatures fighting. Fiddler and Cuddle are spoken to by Gamut and Keneb about them being needed for the impending battle that night. The scorpion battle happens, and Fiddler's own scorpion named Joyful Union wins. Gamut speaks with Tavor about the incoming battle. Nil and Nether speak about the spirits, and in the end, Gamut rides on. Korab prepares for battle, thinking on the Empire. He sees a squad working on a nearby hill, and Leoman leads the rebel forces there. Inside the camp, Gamut worries. The rebels attack, but the helmets are a decoy, and marines fire away and detonate munitions on the hilltop. Korab escapes, barely getting away from a deadly piece of clay munition by launching himself off the ground. Both Fiddler and Cuddle are surprised at Korab surviving. Gamut rides back toward the Malazans, and he hears screaming and is wounded by an explosion. Gessler and Pello run to his side. 
Cuttle reunites with Fiddler, and the Sappers discuss the battle, the Malazans, and who survived. Tavor finds the recovering Gambit, who is being treated by healers. Gambit thinks he is no longer a soldier and shouldn't be fist. He suggests Captain Kenna be promoted to replace him. Korab reunites with Leoman and discusses the battle. Leoman decides to send a message to Shaikh, warning her of the 14th Army. So before the fight breaks out, Fiddler arranges a whole scorpion competition. And although the thrust of this chapter is kind of this clash between uh, rebel and Malazan forces, there's a whole scorpion little battle. Fiddler has a little jo joyful union. Josh, what did you make of this whole little scorpion fight and seeing more of these Marines? Well, number one, uh, everything about the scorpion fight was perfection. <laughs> uh, loved it. Loved their betting all this money on these dumb scorpions. And like they have, they, they assigned a trainer and a feeder and a handler and all this craziness. I thought it was perfect. Here's what I do want to say. On the list of things I thought that scorpion would do, because I had lots of thoughts, right? I was like, it gonna spit acid. It gonna bury under the ground. It get big tail. You know, a lot of thoughts there. It get big it, tail, of course. Right, it get big tail. But you know what wasn't on my list was literally clone itself and then come back, kill the other two things and then come right back together. Did not see that one coming. I just, I love fantasy books. <laughs> I, that this is this is where fantasy books get me because that can't happen on Earth, and if it does, I don't want to be where it happened because that's scary. Thought it was cool though. Um, Y'all ever eat a scorpion? I know you can eat them. I've thought about trying it before. No, I, no, no, I nothing? haven't. <laughs> I do not believe so. India. <laughs> Although we see the mal uh, these Marines having this fun scorpion time. Yeah. Afterwards, we see Gammon and Tabor talking both about past commanders. And then they speak to Nil and Nether a little bit about the spirits of Seven Cities. Uh, so what did you feel about checking in with Tavor? And how are you feeling about the adjunct at this point in the book? This is a loaded question. Honestly, I feel like if I have to hear another thing about how Tavor is not as like capable or is always in a shadow and la-di-da-di-da, I'm going to be annoyed because it's like... Also, you know, Tavor, like, you study all these people, so, like, aren't you arguably, like, quite capable yourself, you know? Like, where's our, where's our, like, pride in ourselves? I don't know. I just feel like she's so annoying, and I'm sick of hearing about how she's always in the shadow. And I, I just don't, I don't really get it. I still feel the same. I don't really have any feelings about her. I feel like, I don't know if it's purposeful or if it's not purposeful that she is kept, like, not very, like, I, I, relatable or even, like, so, like dynamic. Like, I just don't, I just don't, she's just a person who is in charge and that's it. So I don't really have any particular feelings about her. I think that she's a good leader and she seems to be doing what she needs to be doing and that's great. But I, I like, how I could say so many great feelings I had about other characters, um, like Kaboric or Felicin or any of the characters that you really, I think, get to look into their thoughts and, and just see them grow. Like, her character, I just don't feel has been that way. So I don't really have many personal thoughts about her. I don't know if you guys feel differently or if you, like, particularly really enjoy her character, but I, I just don't, I don't at all. I don't not like her. I just don't have any feelings. I think she's fine. Josh, do you have much of a read on Tavor at this point? Absolutely none, uh, which I think is kind of the purpose. Same. 
I mean, she's cold iron. You know, she's calculating. She's keeping her. <laughs> I didn't mean it to be a joke. And then India laughed. I was trying to be nice about this time. She is cold iron. <laughs> she's, she's, you know, she's, uh, she's very calculating. Uh, she plays her cards close to the chest, you know. Um, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. It's like it's like if we were seeing, uh, like, you know, Whiskey Jack's formative years as a commander, you know, or, do, you know, Dujek, you know. I don't think we're going to – she's. I'm, I'm sure at some point she's going to be having plans within plans, and we're going to be like, oh, she's a genius. But, like, she's also, like – how old is she, Peter? Like, 20? Maybe? Uh, I don't know if she's that young, but she's not. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, all I have is that I imagine she's way smarter than I know she is right now. But also, I feel like she's still at an age of a human being where, like, she's probably like she's probably way less confident than she is appearing to be to her people. So I don't know. I'd like to see more like, you know, it, intimate moments with her, just like one on ones with her. We don't get many of those besides with Gamut, mm. where she usually she's just like, get it together. Pull yourself together. Yes. Thank you. Peter, you seem to feel like. Not like you don't vibe with what we're saying here. I do think I'm on a different page, and it's tough for me to articulate my feelings because I just know a little bit more about the adjunct Tavora than you do. You know and, a little um, more. So she doesn't die. Well, I didn't <laughs> say that. Um, we know for a fact that if she, even if she does that, she comes back. Steve has mentioned that, like she is hugely important later in the series. He, he has I have not done heard that. Steve mention that. He does that Steve. almost every time we talk to him. He explicitly mentions that he that his favorite, the biggest thing is that we don't get to be in Tavor's POV until like book eight or something. Anyway. Uh-oh. Yeah. Setting aside that meta point, I do think it's interesting how we are perceiving her through the eyes of Gamut, who is a character I've always really much enjoyed and connected to mm. because he's kind of sad and lost. And, um... And I do think kind of seeing him reflect on this child who has grown into a commander um, is an interesting point of view to encounter Tavor through. So, Just the last point on that. Um, in the beginning of the, I think, chapter eight, or ni- 19, it, whenever Felsen was talking about Tavor being young and like being nine years old and um, practicing like strategies mm-hmm. with her little dolls, it, and yeah. she says she was never a child. And that was, and that really, I think, is an interesting point because she still seems just so like I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but you guys saw my my hand movement. No, I, I think you're touching on something that I'm uh, maybe projecting onto the character. I'm just my interpretation of the character is that she is very fixated That's the word. on strategy or these types of things, and it's almost like she is connecting and talking through to people through discussing military strategy and battles, you know. You know, that she almost doesn't have another avenue to talk to someone through. Do you mean Mm -hmm. like this is how she's trying to connect with people? Because as she was a kid, she, you know, at nine years old was reenacting military strategy. Right. Which is, you know, not a a things that every nine year old does. Do you mean so I I kind of see it as this is her way of trying to relate to people, you know? Mm. I get that. I do get that. It's like when I'm with my dad and his friends and I'm like, football! <laughs> Go birds! Go birds! Getting, I can't say that. They're all they're all Washington football team fans. Yeah, but like legitimately. Go, Go birds. birds. Oh yeah, so just really quick. Just brings Wait, us... Before we move off of, of Gamut and Tavor, I just, the ga- Gamut had a pretty good uh, thought quote where he just says, age is no instant purchase of wisdom, uh, which is a very broad quote, but I still thought was very good. 
I love that. Yeah. So it's and, true. Oh, no, of course it's not instant. It takes years. <laughs> cool. I gotta go. Damn it. Cool. So this brings us to uh, <laughs> what we were uh, reaching towards earlier: this skirmish between the Malazan forces and Korab, who is our kind of point of view into Leoman's forces. So there's these munitions, there's this whole thing, there's an explosion. So, um, Josh, what did you think of this uh, this first clash of forces out in the desert? Uh, I mean, it, it definitely showed... God, I'm going to say it again. Cold it iron. It definitely showcased, like, a cold iron versus cold iron. I don't know, to elaborate on that, it showed good, like, tactical leadership. I don't know, it shows, like, what... When I think of really good fantasy battles in my opinion, because I've read many good fantasy books, it's never the like, oh, wait, and now armies, you know, it's never just like two big armies clashing. It's always like those layered plans, you know? It's Leoman, okay, I've done these attacks these times, now we're going to change up the time. It's, you know, Tavor being like, he's going to think that, so I'm going to give him this easy thing to look, I'm going to give him this easily targeted thing and make it look like we've laid plans, but be purposely bumbling, but have good plans happening on top. I don't know, I love that. That's like so many, mm. it's so many layers to think about. And we see with the death of that huge squad of Marines with, uh, with when Gamut goofs bad, like we see how even within those plans, it takes the errors of a single soldier or commander to just like have it go to shit somewhere. I, I thought it was really interesting. And I also um, love how quick it is. Hmm. This was like a tops seven minute battle, you know, probably yeah. before it, the it's before very the quick and it's yeah. very explosive and deadly. AJ, what did you make of this battle? You seemed to be excited about it earlier. I loved this battle. It was a great time. Uh, I just loved the construction of it uh, in terms of just like just hopping around points of view, just like in in the exact moments of, of things happening. Mostly when Korab grabs the helmet and puts it on top of the the cusser, right? That was a cusser. Mm. Uh, yeah, and then explodes. Or sharper. I, yeah, yeah see, that's what I don't know which one's which. It was a it was a munition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just like all around really really great. And then when Gamut realizes that they are not doing very well and runs in himself, that sucks. That's <laughs> that sucked. Uh, just because I, I like Gamut. I, I now like Gamut a lot. Mm -hmm. And that made me feel very bad. The, the aftermath of, of this made me feel very bad for him. Yeah, so in the aftermath, we find Gamut and he is being treated, but he was pretty wounded because things do go pretty south for him and his Marines in the, in the fight. And then he says Kenev should be promoted. So at the end of the battle, we see, uh, we see that... Uh, so you say you're speaking a little, you're connecting a little more to Gamut there, AJ. What do you think you're connecting with him about? Uh, I think we've gotten his inner monologue this this whole time of how he doesn't think that he's cut out for this job. And, you know, he obviously feels like he's in over his head. I don't think that's anything new. Uh, but I just think seeing him run in to try and like turn the tide somehow, you know, uh, just by himself. And I don't even know if it was in an effort to turn the tide. It was just like, a, oh, I should be in there, too. Uh, really just mm -hmm. kind of shows the kind of person he was when he was a house guard uh, and just kind of the person he is where he's just like, oh, well, I can't be on the outside of this and just let all these people like go to to battle for me. Basically, you know, because he I, I think he wants to do his best by Tavor. So he feels like he needs to actually like physically do something because he doesn't really know any other way to show 
I don't know, allegiance or or like effort or whatever. Like he thinks everything needs to be yeah. like this physical manifestation of like, I, I, I don't know. Allegiance is the only word I can think of. He needs to act himself to prove it. Right. Yeah. Yes. And then, I, I want to. Sorry. Uh, I just just one one last part uh, is when he is running in uh, and we're getting his we're getting the, the everybody around him yelling and we're getting his thoughts and he, we have too many voices. Screams of the dying. The flames, they're falling away. Darkness is closing in. My soldiers are dying everywhere. It's failed. The whole plan has failed. And then everybody's running away as he is running toward. And he's and he has another thought that's I don't understand. Not here the other way go there go to my soldiers where he is just like he has this er, his first and only instinct is to run toward uh the 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 force that is you know killing his men you know he doesn't want to lose anybody he doesn't want to seem like a weak uh a leader and he doesn't really know how to show that uh without acting so i just really loved this part and wow i (laughs) sorry I wanted to say I really connected uh, a lot with this AJ as a as a teacher and coach because mm. it's very hard to see it's it, like when I'm like when I'm coaching lacrosse and I see like obvious things that like oh they should be seeing how are they not seeing this it's very hard you want to put yourself like you want to be in there shouting at them yeah. do this do this right next to them but you can't you have to be away you have to be like okay you know uh in the future we'll have to think about this it's different obviously when you're a commander and the the failures lead to many deaths right. of people who you're in charge of you know i can't imagine how that feels yeah. and like as his first time seeing it that's got to be devastating yeah yeah josh as a lacrosse coach do you think you're more cold iron or <laughs> i i would like to call myself kind of just like rubber you know uh or maybe just like tar because i'm just i don't know man i can't think of anything funny do they what do they use to make the sticks out of aluminum what is that i don't know <laughs> i i don't know i bought i bought like a 20 dollar stick and i just shoot i throw balls at kids nice and yell faster well aj that was a that was a, a great explanation of why you connected to gamut i think that was uh passionate was awesome. and beautiful thanks it really it, it really affected Lovely. me so l- let's keep things moving and get away from Rarikud the moment with chapter 20. Chapter 20. On the Tisty Eater ships, Cutter and Absalar speak about denigrating Warrens, the Throne of Shadow, and Shadow Throne schemes. Then shadows crash and swallow around them. Onrak and Troll walk alongside a tortoise and speak of mating. They then discuss the Logris Talani mass along with the First Throne and Kelenvid's history with it. They speak of the Nameless Ones trying to claim the First Throne, and the unknown way the Emperor found the throne and claimed rule of the Logros Talani mass for their own. They then speak with Monok and Ibrogolan about the renegade Talani mass and their history. Pearl and Lestara walk together and speak of Shaik Elder, Velison, and Rebirth. Lestara recalls when she killed Shaik and thinks on the Tobakai bodyguard. They then decide to go further into the whirlwind and bicker and flirt as they draw near. Once they cross into the whirlwind, they grab onto each other and begin to kiss. Kalam walks in Reriku and hears the ghosts of the past speaking about Desimbalakis and the Nameless Ones. The ghosts fade away, and he addresses the ghost of a Tano spirit walker, and they speak together. Then, massive unknown dogs attack him, and he calls upon demons to help defend him. 
demons answer the call in many places, and Shadowthorn is shocked at seeing these strange hounds. Crocus and Absalar crash into a dark and dusty chamber, and they find Iskarop Hust waiting to welcome them back to Seven Cities. AJ, you were bragging to me no. about how much of this conversation you got. You were like, I got Shadowthorn, I know the Emperor, I know Dancer, I know Boo. So, like, what? why are you feeling so fucking hot on understanding this conversation in the old guard of the Empire? Because I didn't read the first two books, really. I, I read the third, <laughs> where we we learn we learn stuff about Dancer and, and uh, Shadowthorn uh, and Cotillion and Kellenved. <laughs> All four of them. Uh, but it didn't really register for me at the time. I remember you guys being really hyped about it, but I didn't. it didn't really click for me because obviously I didn't have any backstory for it. But this time, when we started, when, when they all came, when they came up, I, I felt pretty, uh, pretty confident reading through this uh, of like what was happening and who was who. I don't know if you ask me now if I'll still if I'll have the great recall on it, but at the time I felt really good about it. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And I want to say just for the record, uh, I look forward to talking to you about the first and second book someday. You know? Someday. That's a teaser for a future episode. So uh, that's going to bring us to uh, On Rack and Troll, who are walking alongside a big turtle and talking about fucking. And they, they discuss their history <laughs> and the first throne and the emperor. And, uh... Oh, shit. Troll's a virgin, right? Don't we learn that? And yeah, we do. This is the perfect time to just quick kick it into the bone zone. So, Josh, what did you make of learning all about this history of the First Throne, about Kellenved and how he used it, about the Nameless Ones? We're getting a lot of low-growth-specific Talani Mass lore here. Um, it was. It would have been really cool if I understood it more. Mm-hmm. I'm still, like, a little iffy with some Talani Mass stuff. Um, here's mm-hmm. one. Okay. Well, in a world, in a world, where there's literal gods <laughs> okay. and like demons and shit. Why are thrones literal ass chairs that just <laughs> exist places? Why do do like, that seems bad. Chairs are powerful. Like, what does that mean? And there, I've I, never once in my life sat in a chair and been like, yes, it's all mine. Well, how many thrones have you sat in, Josh? That's true, PB. You my sat toilet. in the Iron Throne, didn't you, in New York? Yeah. Anyway. Ah, sick. Anyway, um, I don't know. Just like it just they were like, yeah, we picked we were like, man, we don't know when to get this throne. So we picked it up and put it somewhere else. And I was like, yeah. how do you how can you do that? Like, it's I just have many questions about Well, Josh, that. you just moved. You know how to move a chair. <laughs> yeah, I know how to move a chair, but if someone else sits in this chair, I'm not bound to their will for eternity. <laughs> it's you know what a I mean? Good chair, when my dumbass cat is in his chair, I well, I am kind of bound to that cat Facts. until it dies. So I guess yeah. actually that is uh, that was a mistake. Okay. Well, why do you think we call we call a lot of recliners lazy boys? Because the lazy boy sat in it. And now it's bound to him, the lazy boy. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I think I'm gonna cut that out. That sucks so bad. <laughs> India, you were shaking your head desperately for me to not come to you with this topic. <laughs> Is that Very just good. saying you a lot of this bounced off you or you're no. not a Logros Talana Mass fan or? No, I'm not. 
I don't understand these god darn Talani masks. I just don't. They're everything. It's like when in doubt, if you don't know what it is, it's likely a Talani mask. Like literally. They and the nameless ones. Sure. What? Like, when are we going to know who they are and who they are and where they are? They're probably Talani Mass. They probably are. You know, we briefly encountered them, uh, at least, uh, uh, you know, we heard about them in the last book. We keep hearing about them. We do keep hearing and about them. It, it makes me think I was talking to AJ about how uh, much he should have read the second book. And I think part <laughs> of the reason is... Uh, I think there's an interesting thing going on here in book four where there's kind of a rhythm and a kind of poetry to repeating a lot of the same places and locations and thoughts from the second book. You know, it's very purposeful. We return to the scene of where the rats attack Bellison and Bowden. We return mm-hmm. to the Salandra. We return to the nascent. We return to the Shadow Temple. You know, we're returning to a lot of places again and seeing it kind of from a different angle. And it's interesting to return to the Nameless Ones once more. Um, although, of course, it is a little different. And we're going to learn more about them eventually. I feel fine in saying that, you know? So I would fucking hope yeah, so. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> and it's just like, it's all of the things, though, that I like really don't like to discuss. Like, the Azath house. What the fuck mm. is that? The Nameless Ones. Who are you guys? Talani Mass. What are you not? So... All that to say, I don't like their storyline. These. I just want to go on the record and say a lot of things are not Talani Mass. You, you, you know, TV, but a lot of things are. It's true. Like sure. Sh- like like the spirit, Actually, the the Shaikh spirit. Ooh. I'm gonna bring that right to the like thing. You know. Okay, yeah. that's, that's a fair true. Point. What the fair heck? Point. Is that? That's so freaking random. And I know that's later on, but that just goes to prove my freaking point. And I. I Go ahead, Josh, please. No, no, you keep popping off. You got this. I'm just, I'm curious. I'm confused. The Talani Mass, were they the first freaking people or okay. not? Okay, here's, here's where I'm popping in. Okay, Peter, can you, can you do some helping? Okay. okay. Okay, here are some questions I've been really struggling with. Okay. Okay. Calor, remember that guy? I remember him. Okay. Remember him. How can we forget? Was he originally human or a different race? Um, he is definitely not human. Okay, it was, I, I know think, he had, but... was his, was his the first capital F empire? Or was he after the first capital F empire? Because okay, he well, had an empire. I do want to say the exact race calorie is I do someone want to punt on and would love someone to write in. Okay. But I will say there are multiple first empires. So what does that mean? I'm, you can take it there up with seven. Steve. There was seven. You can take it up with Steve. That wasn't it, Peter's choice, but there are the, the first empire could refer to different things. Because we've definitely so, heard something that the, the Talani Mast, I think, have even been called the first something like that, like something similar to that. Yes. And it drives me up a goddamn wall. Yeah. So there can only be one this first empire. Civilization by Desimbaclus <laughs> called the first empire. Yes. But, that's not really the first empire. He just branded himself the first empire because it, he saw it sounded good, but in no way was it, you know? And then there's also the, uh, I, I don't, there, India so that's only just, four that, in. that specifically out, is most is referred to as the first empire, but it's not the first empire. Do you know what I mean? 
It's a, it's a, a first empire. It is <laughs> a early empire. I, a the first empire. I'm going to start calling myself the first Josh, you know? Why, <laughs> yeah, why fuck not? It, I guess. No rules. Um, there are no rules. Damn it. Uh, I do love when uh, Onrak is asking Troll if he knows of the Nameless Ones, and Troll's like, only that they're very successful. <laughs> and Onrak says, what do you mean? And <laughs> Troll's answer is, well, their existence has remained hidden from me. I've never heard of them. Yeah. Which is just really... It's it's that good Troll Onrak shit that I love so much. I also love their conversation about their sex lives. That, and yeah. next to the turtle, yeah, that that's just well. wholesome stuff, you yeah. know? Oh, and they walk in front of the turtle and it turns around. He's like, oh, what's it doing? He's like, oh, well, it sees us now. So it's running away. Yeah, like, <laughs> that was funny. Fuck, that was dude. funny. Oh, my God. Speaking of sex life, we come to Pearl and Lestara in the desert. They talk a little bit and then think they cross through the whirlwind and then they uh, get a little steamy together. India, what did you make of this uh, sequence with Pearl and Lestara? That sexual tension has been building for a while at first i actually did think it was hate eventually i was like maybe it's maybe it's not and boy was i pleasantly surprised i i didn't expect it in that moment same (laughs) but i'm not mad that it happened um i think that they are they are so funny and i like their little their their back and forth i think is incredible um i think it's just fantastic and i i ship this union all right, India blesses the union. And um, actually, I'm I'm ordained. I can do that. What? I got this. I'm I'm ordained. I can I can bless this union. I don't know what that means. Oh my god! Hell yeah! Well, I forgot what I was gonna say. Shit. <laughs> Sorry. Come on, Josh. It was about. It was something about uh, something that they did that I thought was funny. Motherfucker. I'll go. I'll think about it later. Never mind. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, Josh. No, because I remembered what I was gonna say, and I actually think that was a big point. Um, okay. Please. Just really quickly, when they realize that Bellison is the new Shaikh, that's like pretty crazy. It's like a pretty cool thing that they did there. Oh, yeah. But that's it. True. Yeah. Oh, I do. Well, that, not that you brought that up, I did also uh, want to address the, the, the sh- a small passage, not passage, it's just one line, uh, where they say that Bellison becoming Shaikh was less chance or coincidence more like a timely convergence of desires and necessities. It's just like, it all just happened to line up and they were like, yeah, we we kind of feel the same things. Like, let's Let's do do this. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I was definitely caught up in the the romance of it all. It's important to talk about that Mm -hmm. too. Um, So Mm -hmm. uh, that brings me to just quickly asking, Ange, so now that they kind of have put those pieces together and they have that knowledge, where do you think they're story goes next now that they're in the whirlwind and they have this piece of kind of crucial secret information i believe they had a steamy moment but i still think that pearl is a piece of shit and i'm i just don't i don't trust him to like have Lestara's like back while they're in this raku place um so i'm a little bit nervous about what's gonna happen now that he has gotten he got the information that he wanted I think he brought her because he knew that she was going to be helpful, obviously. But I don't know if he actually like gives a shit whether or not you know she's get gets home or not. So I don't. I just am. I don't know. I feel like he's going to do what's best for him to get back and be able to get what he. Wa- I don't. What did he? What does he get for not finding this information out? Like, what is he doing this for? Bring it back. He like could just bring it back to Devor. I think. Right. 
Yeah, I guess. Well, I just think that I don't know. I don't know if they're. I don't know if they're going back, guys. They might yeah. just. If he if he betrays Lestara, I will throw. I'm gonna burn this book. I'm never gonna read this book ever again. I just feel like it's a little like sometimes you know it's just sex is just that. Yeah. And Lestara uh, yeah, seems to have so. the feels, but I'm not sure that Pearl has the feels. So I'm concerned about what's gonna happen with with them, like in this situation i have no idea what what they're going to do with this information i have no idea maybe i don't freaking know maybe pearl mm. will be on fellas inside so clown then is in Morocco and there's all of these ghosts and then these dogs attack him and then there's the demons and uh so josh what did you make of these ghosts and what did you make of uh where kalam is right now so starting with where Kalam is right now, in addition to where Pearl is, I do want to say it's very funny when, I can't remember if it's already happened or later, when Corbolo Dom's like, what if there's a claw? What if Shaikh's smart enough to get a claw? And that whole time, I was like, but how though? She's she's trying to, she's going to fight the, she couldn't get it. And I was just like, how dumb is he? And now there's two claws here. And I love that. And hmm. I cannot wait. I, I want one of them to kill Corbolo Dom. So he's like, I knew it. And it like goes to his death being an idiot. <laughs> mm-hmm. That'll be very good. Anyway, uh, in regards to the ghosts, how many times is this book going to remind us that this desert was lakes or that other places were lakes? I feel like that has been a. I don't know if that's like if there's going to be like a world-ending flood or some bullshit that happens, but we are reminded constantly that all of this desert was a sea at some point, and I feel like that has to be moderately important. Don't really know what for yet. Happened again here with ghost sea and ghost boats and ghost army men. It was just so much. I don't understand fucking anything. I don't really know who Dasen Balakis is. Still don't know who the nameless ones are. Don't know why there's a ton of spirit walker here because I thought that was one dude, but apparently it's like a whole group of, I don't know. Yeah, I was confused about that as well. And then these hounds attack. Woof, woof. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, so, so, okay, so these hounds, they come again in the next chapter or some this point. This brings us to our these... new section, Who Let the Dogs Out? Who let the dogs Okay, we can do that. We can do that. Troll. No, wait. Onrek. Onrek. Oh, wait. Oh, fuck, I can't do that. It's too long. <laughs> That's the answer, yeah. though. Uh, so these are like the, the, the Hounds of Darkness, right? That we saw that Onrek released for those things, right? Mm-hmm, Clearly? Okay, definitely. cool. So there's that. Um, they're scary. They're like hella stronger than the fucking Hounds of Shadow. Which is frightening because they were already terrifying all the time. Yeah. So, so what kinds of hounds are these? Of darkness. Of darkness. Which is a purer power oh, than shadow. Maybe correct. I don't know. Shadow is a is a combo of dark and light. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. That mm-hmm. is true. So I nice, told. nice. So at the very end of the chapter, Crocus and Absalar return and they're reunited <laughs> oh, with wait, the scar Pust. Can I come back? Okay. I feel real bad for all those people. <laughs> Kalam gave those diamonds to that dude, and like all of them just got fucking murdered so badly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although there was that one group that was like plotting to kill a merchant, and they all got destroyed. That was fine. But like one was just some dude drinking wine with his girl, and then a demon popped out. That's no fun. <laughs> that is a little fun, Josh. Just the way the cookie crumbles, man. Jesus. Okay, so then at the end... Crocus and Absalar, uh, the mysterious shadow had enveloped them, which we didn't really talk about because this podcast is all over the place. And they're brought all the way to Seven <laughs> Cities and encounter Iskarl Pust. Did you think this is where they would end up? No. No. How the fuck would we know they end up here? I mean, this is a tower in the desert. They were in the sea. 
Well, you know, these deserts, Josh, they actually used to be seas. If you I'm gonna come to Jap- I'm gonna come to Japan and punch you in the mouth. Oh, don't punch the PB. Alright, this no. show's getting this show's so long today. We gotta keep things <laughs> Okay. Chapter twenty one. Febril reflects on his past when he destroyed ancient holy texts to keep them out of the hands of the Malazan. Febril meets with Camistrilo and they speak more about the past and the current invasion. They speak about Malakrel and Corblo Dom and the Nappan's imperial ambitions, as well as the ancient Talana Mass on Seven Cities and the First Empire. Laoric feels power approaching and dons Leosian armor and goes to Karsa's Grove. Felicen is asleep, and he enters the Talon Warren. In the ancient memory of Reriku, there is a massive lake, and he watches seven massive beasts be tracked by Kachin Shamal. The Oryk is pulled out of the path of these creatures by a massive white dragon, his father, Osric. On an island in the sky, Laoric speaks with his father about the past and the Hounds of Darkness. The Hounds of Darkness, Deragoth, beasts that bound with Decembalacus. They speak more of the Deragoth and this memory of Reriku. Osric then brings Laoric to the edge of the memory, where they free the demon Greyfrock that binds to Laoric. The Leosian returns to Reriku, with its new familiar following. Shaikh faces the future and the impending clash with Tavor in the 14th. Bidithal comes and they speak of Rashan and the whirlwind goddess. Haboric has become a priest once more, and they argue about the old man. Bidithal is dismissed, and outside Shaikh's presence, the mage Febril confronts him. The two speak about whether Bidithal would join Febril and the others in their betrayal, and they speak of the future. Bidithal agrees, and returns to his temple. In Dom's camp, Scalara has continued to spy, but two soldiers following Febril's orders have come to kill her. They escort her out of the camp, and as one begins to rape her, she kills him. The second soldier comes to kill her, but a figure with glowing green talons rescues her. The man says he is Haboric, Destrian of Treach. Together, they go back to Haboric's temple. Laoric goes to Felicen and introduces her to Greyfrog, and says they plan to leave the camp soon. Haboric meets with Laoric, and they agree that the battle will happen soon, and that Haboric needs to leave camp with Felicen. Korab rides alongside Leoman's forces back through the Whirlwind to reunite with the rest of the rebels. Carson nears Reriku, thinking on the impending battle. Sibal comes to speak with him, saying he is the Knight of Chains and telling him more of the Crippled God. Carson refuses the role and the Crippled God, and says if the Crippled God is not careful, Carson will break his chains and kill him. talk a lot about Loric in a second, but quickly, Josh, I just wanted to get your read on Febril, who here we hear exactly specifically why he kind of hates the Malazans and his history with the Empire here. I feel like he's the least interesting of anyone in the Whirlwind army, honestly. Okay. I like, like, I know we needed to, we're talking about Febril, are you good, India? Yeah, but he killed his families, right? Yeah. Yeah, he killed That's his family. Lit. That was so interesting, I thought. 
Yeah, Josh, I don't know what you're talking uh, about. Least I think your family is lit. You heard it here first. <laughs> it's not the yeah. first bad take in this episode. Oh, shit. <laughs> Three for four. <laughs> Oh, I got AJ's. AJ texted us all puster bus. Kicked off the podcast. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I just like I, I didn't. I'll say this. OK, I think that what makes people interesting a lot of the time for me are their motivations. OK, rather than their actions. OK. And I think Febril's motivation is the simplest of anyone. He equates Malazans with losing things and like, you know, the destruction of knowledge. Therefore, Malazans are bad. Therefore, they must go. And that's just and I know I know I am not. I know it's a bit deeper than that, but I just and I and he like betrayed people and stuff. But I don't know. I just like we're learning about him so late in the game and his motivation is so much smaller. His desires are so much smaller than everybody else's that I was just like, you're, you're kind of here. You're a player, but you're not the player. But see, I think that's why maybe India, this is what you meant. I think he really resonates for me, especially in contrast to uh, Corblo Dom and Camus Rila, who I was dunking on earlier, because like he actually hates Malazans and thinks the empire is a bad colonials corrupting force that like is destroying his homeland do you know what i mean and you know he he actually fucking believes in the cause in this camp of people who have all of these different ambitions you know so you know we can we could argue about whether his position's correct or whether he should like kill all these people or he should have killed his family or these things you know but he i don't know he actually believes in the party line of the rebellion you know I yeah. get that. I just, I still think it's just such a small, singular motivation for him. You know, it's a very, it's very wrapped up tidy. And I just was kind of like, okay, that's him. Yeah, no, I just didn't really think about it much after that. I think it's going to come up again. Mm. Well, this brings us into Laoric, who I have to tell you, I completely forgot about this section <laughs> and really rocking me into my so own cool. dream world. As he goes in, he meets his father. There's there's all these ghosts. We talked about all this stuff. So, India, how much of this Loric journey were you expecting? Were, where did it take you? How do you feel about Loric right now? I'm interested in Loric. Loric and Leoman, I keep mixing up, but now I didn't. <laughs> I just realized in my head, no. he's Loric is the one with the uh, familiar. Yeah. That's the most interesting part about him. Not that he's a secret okay. Tysleosian. I, what does that mean to me at this point? And his dad's like the, 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 the big one, the king or so whatever. What's it called? He is the, uh, he's like the Animander Rake of Leo. Yes. That was what I was going to say. Yes. The Animander Rake of the, yes. That's what I was thinking. Exactly. And I guess my question is mostly regarding what's with the daddy issues. <laughs> Did you see yeah, his dad? Say, have you met his dad? Because he was pretty bad. No, no, I know. But I'm just wondering, like, is there, like, is this just it? Is he just like in and out? And yeah. that's just, that's just uh, it? Like, okay, is, it, is okay. that the extent? It's like, um, uh, like, imagine if your dad was like a world-class thing, right? And that was his thing that he was into. And you're just there. Mm-hmm. That really seemed like what their dynamic was. Mm-hmm. I just like his, see it. Oh, I'm so like the dad's priority is not Loric in the slightest. That is not what his he he is there, and that is fine for him to be there. But Osric's got Osric stuff to do. 
Yeah, and he, and he does say that, and like like I just I don't know. I wasn't. I have a hard time connecting to the newer characters in this book, him included. Every new, like every. I, I'm just not fully there yet. And I think that happened in the other books too. I'm not going to lie. It takes me a while to like understand them and then kind of like get invested in their story, I guess. Mm. And I think this was like a, a start, but I'm, I was not already very interested. So this was just like, Oh, okay. And I was just far more excited about his little familiar that he brought home. I was going to say the funniest thing about this all to me. And I think like the, the thing that perfectly paints these two's relationship is he's like, where's your familiar? He died. Do you have a new one yet? Why don't you have a new one? (laughs) And it's just like unable to understand that his son could love and feel grief. And it's just like, what are those? I also really like the part when he was like, I could only stand your mother for like three days. Yeah. Like it was, that was, that that was, was it. fucking And gold. he was like, oh, how long could and you stand like, me? It was like about- three hours. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I thought that was actually really funny. That, um, was, that was good as shit. And it was a good, like, you know, representation of their relationship. Yeah, he's not getting a lot of uh, support and positive role model there, you know. Mm. Uh, his dad's a dragon. How better? How much better of a role model do you need? So badass. Maybe he's like a, emotional yeah. intimacy and support from a father figure. I don't know. Just pitbulling, but like, ah, nah, dragon. Any day. Who <laughs> um, needs emotional support? Did we know that Moonspawn was a Kachane Shamal thing? Before no okay because hey what the that, fuck <laughs> I I'm learning more and more okay here's an issue I have more and more people who I in book one two three whatever that I'm like these are the strongest players in the game but 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 I'm learning so much of it is just like fucking hogwash and luck yeah like I thought Moonspawn was like a chunk of the shadow world or some bullshit or like a mountain that Animander Rake was like, I could use this. And it's just like he found a ship somewhere. Yeah. And he was like, cool, cool, cool. Am I now? Yeah. And he like it's I don't know. You invent such such cooler things to as the backstories for these things. Mm-hmm. And then like you find out that it's just like, nah, it's just it's just stuff. Just some like really, really old dinosaurs. <laughs> they did it. Yeah. <laughs> some old ass dinosaurs made this mountain fly and then I took it. Yeah. there's a conversation about bitathol and we learn he's going to help several but i feel like we've spoken a lot about the high mages in the camp so i want to skip over to where scalara is uh going to be killed she is uh, a a a rape happens she kills the rapist then there's this other thing and then borak rescues her and uh josh what, what did you think we'd be coming back to scalara and how did this whole sequence um play for you i assumed we had to come back because um steve has has proven pretty consistently that there are very very few one-off povs you almost always get like a second one like that circle breaker from gardens of the moon oh yeah you know like you got to come back at least you got to be you got to show up at least twice i'll say this i did not expect Corbolo dom to be on to her as well as he was that caught me off guard Mm. um you know what i mean also, can we talk about how, like, gross it is that she's just able to, like, control her gag reflex well enough that, like, she super needs to vomit and she can just be in that zone for hours mm. pretending to be on her durhang? That's beyond disgusting and incredible. I, that, I read that and was, like, feeling legitimately nauseous. It was, like, so gross to me. Anyway, 
Uh, I just had to point that out. And it's um, at this point, though, we were kind of touched on it earlier that you were kind of criticizing her for what she was speaking about. So, yeah, I mean, she I think what I I made a point earlier, it may have been cut by AJ. Uh, and what I think I want to say is Scalaria is a character like as a character. It's tough for me for to to get behind her in like her decision she's making because she is going to be careful with my words here. I think she is past the point where she's likely to be redeemed. I'm not saying she is irredeemable, but I'm saying she is, as a character, I think her arc has led her to a place where, unless she's becoming a major player, she's probably going to stay brainwashed and loyal to Bidithal and and ready to do some not great stuff. And I was like, ah, that's not... I just, it was a weird character for me. I don't know. I couldn't And you're making a disgusted face. What are you thinking? I disagree. I freaking disagree. I think that she is going to have the comeback of the year. And I say this because Kaborik saved her. Yes. Now that she is doing this, I think they're, well, I don't know about that because for all I fucking know, she'll just turn on on it and bring in a bit of thought. We don't know. Um, No, she won't. I don't know. I I have some trust issues with characters in in these books. Mm. Yeah, so you, so Hoborik saves her, and then they go into the camp, and, and Lorik kind of conspires with Felicin and Hoborik about them trying to leave the camp as three, Hoborik, Felicin Younger, and Scalara. So AJ, what did you make of Scalara joining the three of them, and, and where do you think they're going, and, and where are you with that trio right now? Uh, I wouldn't say she necessarily has joined them currently. Uh, That's fair. But... I, I get what you mean, but I, I don't know. I feel like we haven't spent enough time talking about how cool it is that Haboric has green hand talons now, because that's, re- that's true. That's real cool. Uh, and also that he is just like insanely powerful. Uh, oh, yeah. Like, like unbelievably so um, that he was just able to just be like, oh, Felicent. Yeah, just just like pluck. I'm just going to pluck the whirlwind goddess out of you for a sec. Uh, she can't come in. Uh, yeah. like that was like and it's it was like no effort for him to just be like oh yeah here you know come on in but leave her outside <laughs> like we're good that just oh i did uh, sorry keep going. no it's just just that just like blows me away uh about how mm. casual he because he was like oh, i don't really want this and now you know a chapter or two later he's like i'm super fucking powerful i want to say i'm gonna walk some stuff back i had forgotten that haboric uh invokes a massive change in Scalara, uh mm. when he like kind of brings her back when he fully from, heals like, her yeah it, I don't know if he healed her necessarily, but he he brought sensation back to her is kind of what it sounded he like. Said, he said know? something about, he said the word heal in there, but it's irrelevant. Yeah. I don't know. I forgot I forgot about that. So look, I'll, I'll say this. She, something may come of it. Mm. Um, I'm not really sure what just yet. Like she's been here for all of three seconds. So it's not unlike Erickson though to do that. So maybe she is a huge player. Oh, I loved in the beginning of this uh, this section with, with Scalara, uh, the word outrage just like comes through her head and she's like, oh, oh yeah, why, I was really, I just happen? reread And that. then after she's healed, the first thing she says is outrage and have her words mm-hmm. like, huh? And, and her thought is outrage. Yes, that. It's just like, I don't know. I feel like Sklar is gonna, I, I don't know if she's gonna like become another part of Treach's like council or whatever, or like whatever the fuck. But I, I don't know. I feel like she might stick around I think. Yeah. Um, 
I'm curious to see where it's going to go for sure. Yeah. At the end of this chapter, uh, India, we touch in with Karsa, who we haven't seen in a little bit, and he's riding back towards Raraku. He has one more conversation with Sibel about the crippled god and the house of chains. So what are you thinking about what the crippled god is doing right now and related to Karsa? We haven't seen or heard about the crippled god a bit outside of these seven. So what are you feeling about him and what are you feeling about Karsa right now? I... I don't know why he, I mean, well, actually I do. I understand why he's so interested in, in Carsa being on his team. Carsa's, um, you know, pretty powerful. Um, but he keeps refusing, like, the advances that they keep making for him. So I'm wondering if eventually he's just going to be like, fuck it. Let's, let's, what, what's this about? Or at least, at least have the conversation. But I don't really know past that. I have no idea what the freaking crippled God's doing. I feel like that's like, 10 books away from my current thought process and I don't, and, and he is doing things, but I feel like, yeah, he has been pretty quiet for a while, but he does have that guy on the inside, the guy that Carsa like broke, right? Doesn't he follow mm. him? You know, the guy I'm talking, the one that, Oh, 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 with the, the S- Slithar, Silithar, Sil- no Sil- arms? Sildar. Yeah. Sildar. Yeah. Sildar. So maybe, I don't know if it has something to do with like, that issue or i i don't really know but um those are my thoughts on that i don't really have many many in, like i guess deep thoughts i'm very much looking forward to finishing this book so we can talk about carson hole but i um i was aggravated with him in this scene i feel you know why so that's 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 i'll just say that so. i i still think he is his arrogance will be his downfall. His arrogance is is what has basically brought him through everything. And I, but I do believe in the end it will be what destroys him. Yeah. It's him being like, I will free him and then kill him. Yeah, well, yeah. that's probably He's, what's, what it's going to sure? be. He will right. free him. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to stab somebody and be like, "Ha! I bet you didn't see that coming." And the crypto god's going to be like, "No, I did. You fucking dummy." <laughs> like this was my plan. I must have been stabbed. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And also, this cripple god shit is just like, oh, this seems like a bad plan. Well, it's actually my real plan because it's chaos, baby. Like, fuck off. Just come up with a real goddamn plan. Like, I just feel like yeah. the cripple god is going to need some kind of, I don't know. I, I have no idea how this how this kind of thing works. Um, you know, I I really get I really get a hot iron vibe from the cripple god. <laughs> 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 the cripple god is pure hot iron. <laughs> <laughs> hot iron summer. Whew. All right. Oh, fuck. <laughs> We're all hot iron. Oh, also, I love Gray Frog. Gray Frog, best boy. Gray Frog, I don't know if best boy. Gray Frog could eat someone, and I would not be shocked. I love, I love Gray Frog. He's adorable, and he Thank is you. so cute. He doesn't mean Thank he you. doesn't want to offend. He's just hungry. Like, <laughs> I don't want to offend. That was Same. the best. <laughs> that was all right. His speech is pretty great. He's so cute. Chapter twenty-two. Fiddler speaks with fellow marines about the Ninth Squad. He banters with Balm, Deadspell, and Throat Slitter. The marines speak about the commanders of the army, and then Bottle comes with a small doll. Bottle uses the doll to try and divine the forces at play, first thinking the hood, then it indicates perhaps the rope is here. Fiddler thinks he knows what assassin it truly is divining. Gamut hears the screaming of the spirits. He thinks on Kenneb and Tavor. 
He goes to the Wall of the Whirlwind, where he finds Grub and speaks to the boy about shiny things and thinking too much. Kenim and Tamul find Gamma, then together they ride to find Tavor. The adjunct will use her Otatural Sword to break the Whirlwind. Despite not knowing what's on the other side of the wall, they intend to break it. However, before she fully unveils her sword, the wall withdraws and they can enter Reruku. The commanders together are nervous to ride further in, and Gamut claims back his title of Fist. Fiddler and the Marines watch the whirlwind withdrawn from far, wonder what it means, and together speak about the army's commanders. Kenim and Gamet ride together, speaking of formations briefly, and ride in Araraku in dusty silence. We're introduced to a lot of different Marines, and then Bottle, the mage in Fiddler's squad, uses some divining, and, and he tries to use this doll, and we just get a little more insight into these Marines. So um, how do you feel about the difference between being on the ground, so to speak, with the Marines, as compared to when you're with Gamut and with the commanders. What do, you, what do you think about that difference, and do you prefer one or the other? I do think that when you're, like, with the, the boys, it's more like, I, I, I enjoy it more because it's more just, like, palling around and funny and um, just getting to know, I think, their personalities a little better rather than when you're, like, you know, high up. You're strategizing. You're trying to figure things out. It's less fun. It's incredibly boring. And I feel like the people that are in charge tend to be a little bit more like melancholy, like, woe mm. is me. So yeah. it's less interesting, I think, in my opinion, to read. But you know I'm not really interested in the, the strategy and that kind of conversation. So I'm always going to mm. side with the more entertaining and, like, silly um, parts. Yeah, because usually when all the Marines are hanging out, it's pretty much pure bands and just like goofing and joking and whatever. You exactly. Know? Yeah. And, and to contrast that, I think you're right. Gamut is particularly sad here. And when he goes up to the screaming wall of sand, he has quite a heavy conversation with Grub, who says uh, to him that uh, is Grub, Grub says, five. Yeah, Grub's very young. What yeah. the hell? Um, Grub says, "Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about Grub in a second. <laughs> yeah, Grub, Grub, he, Gaiman encounters Grub, and he says, uh, "Father thinks the same. You think about things there's no point in thinking about. It makes no difference, but I know why you do it." And I kind of love this scene and the idea that they're having this conversation next to the whirlwind. And uh, I don't know, it's just kind of really resonated with me. Josh, uh, why did you want to talk about this scene in particular? I mostly want to talk, honestly, not about the scene, but about the, uh, what do you call those things before the uh, the chapters? Oh, uh, the, epigraphs. the epigraphs. Epigraph. Epigraphs. I want to talk about the fact that we are, we are seeing these, these, this scene with Grub, and it's bizarre because we've seen an epigraph that, like, in X amount of years, he's going to become the first sword of the Empire. Not? And it's just like, but, like, I read that, and I was like, I in my mind, I had like dashing, you know, heroic fighter. And then in this scene, I was like, oh no, oh, this boy broke. He gonna be, he's like, just gonna become first sword of the empire just because he's gonna be like a broken man who's really good at fighting. Like it's, I'm very, very concerned for this young boy's future. Also, definitely gonna see a lot of bad stuff in this fight coming ahead. I just, it was so bizarre. And the, the, the talk with Gamut was chilling. Um, Chilling's the word for me. Yeah, Gamut's in his own head. So 
so Sad. hard. In a way that most of these characters really aren't a lot of the times. Like, uh, I don't know, a lot of like the, the characters, especially the soldiers that we see, are so much just kind of like, well, gotta keep going, you know? So AJ Gamut then rides off to meet with Tavor and mm-hmm. Keneb and all the commanders watch as uh, she's going to break the whirlwind. The whirlwind withdraws and they are allowed to enter. What did you make of this scene? And what do you think of them entering the whirlwind like this? Uh, I kind of felt how they felt where they were like, oh, why did it do that? And then I forget who it was. It was like, well, they probably... The whirlwind goddess probably thought it was better to just like open up instead of take that hit, which like for sure, mm-hmm. that's like so definitely sounds like a solid plan. Uh, but then they also brought up the point, why do it at all? Which like also, yes, why do it at all? Uh, because I don't really think it impeded anything much, except maybe extend it a couple days, like and also put like a big marker like, hey, here we are. <laughs> like I don't know. I, I thought that was an interesting thing, but I do uh, love toward the end of this scene. Gamut kind of gets his groove back. Uh, and he's like, yeah, he reclaims his title as fist. Yeah, he's like, hey, I'll be fist and I'll do yeah. it good this time. And he punches, uh, another, Can it? no, uh, it starts with an O, I think. Oh, he punches. Yeah, because the one guy's like, oh, you, you can't do it. You're too weak to blah, blah, blah. And that's like the final straw oh. for Gamma. And he like punches him in the face and knocks him off You're his horse right. or whatever. Punches- is, it the, is it the other fist? Yeah. Blistic. Is, it's not blistic. Or Lieutenant Rannell? No. I think it might be Blistic. Oh. He punches someone, you're dead on. At this point, it's completely eluding me. Yes, yeah, I can't. I also cannot find it. Yeah, but he punches them and, and then realizes like, oh, that was this idea the whole time, which I thought was really nice, actually, that like the other the, the rest of the, the commanders and stuff kind of have his back, which is yeah. something that we haven't really seen for anybody besides like the, the ex bridge burners, you know, like nobody else seems to like have each other's back besides these like like Fiddler mm-hmm. and, and all them, um, which was just really nice. I like that a lot. And before we go, I just want to kick us quick into a correction section for a bit. <laughs> Because uh, it was pointed out to me earlier in this season, I referred to uh, Gamut as a Nappin, and that he was House Perrin's Nappin tutor, but I was just mistaken. He is not Nappin. He was their house guard, as we've established, and I was conflating those kind of two characters from the Perrin's childhood. So that one's my bad. Nice. Mm. As always, send in corrections. Uh, We get stuff wrong in the show, (laughs) as I'm sure you, the listener, have noticed. Yeah, I think um, in life we all get things wrong. <laughs> That's deep, man. Um, mm. Hard tonight. As always, you can send those corrections to 10 Very Big Books uh, at Gmail or Twitter, or you can just send us compliments or whatever you think about the show. Um, <laughs> as always, uh, we'll be back in two weeks to talk about the finale of House of Chains. And I just want to hear a big prediction going into the the climax of this book, India, I'm going to come to you first. How will House of Chains end? House of Chains will end in a blaze of glory. Okay, we got, <laughs> we got it from 10,000 feet up. AJ, we need to go 5,000 feet up, a little more specific than that. Uh, my immediate thought upon finishing this are uh, these chapters, because uh, I've been taking notes now, which has kind of helped me a bit. Uh, so my, my immediate impression upon finishing these chapters was, uh, I can't wait for there to be no battle and Carson to show up and just wreck shit. 
that was that was my immediate reaction. Uh, but I think to get a little more granular, I think the rope that uh, Bottle uh, divined, I guess, um, isn't Kalam. I think it is Lestara uh, because a while ago, continue, like in like chapter the episode that I edited today uh, in like chapter 12 or 13, Cotillion comes and talks to Lestara. I forget about what, um, but that does happen as well. But Cotillion's got his, his fingers in a lot of pies, if I'm being honest. <laughs> It's true. Earlier in this, yeah. earlier in these chapters, Absalar and Crocus speculate about it, but we didn't talk about it because this show was too long as it is. Yeah, I'm curious, yeah. actually, if if you talk about those two, you've stolen both of my. All predictions. right, all right, all right. Sorry, you go, you go, you go. <laughs> so, Josh, coming back to finally for you, how will House of Chains end? Uh, similar to what AJ said, I too believe there will not be some giant battle. What I think the bigger thing is, I have no idea why Absalar and Cutter are in this book, yeah. except that they have to somehow, in the next very short amount of time, get into the whirlwind and be involved, I guess. Um, and I actually don't believe that Karsa will be anything... He- I think he'll like come back and kill one person. Hmm. It's going to be something ridiculous. Like, I think he comes at the exact right time and kills one guy. I think he's going to be Bidithal's comeuppance or something because uh, I forget yeah. who it was, but like, don't worry. They were like, don't worry, Bidithal will get his... Boric. Hit, they, well, Boric yeah. did. Was it I think Laoric said that. Yeah. yeah. Both the Oryx. Yeah, both Oryx. Not Osric. Don't get well, it confused. Don't get it twisted. Damn it. We're going to have to see where everything falls. Wait, I gave a really button. bad prediction. You did. I do want to say something. I think you guys are wrong. And I think that there will be a battle of some kind. Okay. And okay. in that battle, I think I don't freaking know. This book is ugh, a lot. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. Can we be done. I'm tired. Yeah. All right. So Ange came back in with that steaming prediction. Yeah. And it's too I'm hard, looking Peter, forward what's to, your prediction? I'm looking forward to... Imagine I just spoiled it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, I'm looking forward to finishing the book and talking about the climax of House of Chains with everybody. So tune in in two weeks for that. Hell yeah. And uh, stay safe, everybody. Love each other. Hello, everyone. Producer AJ here drinking some grape juice. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. And big thank you for being such a wonderful community that is able to have tough conversations without shutting others down. Uh, There were conversations all over the place about our last episode in our Discord and on Reddit, in our emails, even in our Patreon messages. Uh, We really appreciate that y'all kept it civil and were able uh, to be open to differing opinions. Uh, That's really great. Thank you so so much. Uh, If you'd like to be a bigger part of this wonderful community, you can always head on over to bit.ly slash VBB Discord to join everyone there. Uh, that's capital V, capital B, capital B, capital D, Discord. That link will also be in the show notes. If you'd like to check out our Patreon, you can visit the link in the show notes or head on over to patreon.com slash 10 very big books. At the time of this recording, uh, me recording this outro right now, we are at 114 patrons and $379 a month. Uh, I say this every time, but seriously, thank you so, so much uh, for any amount that you can contribute. We all love making the show, but it really does take a lot of time. 
time and planning and editing. So just know that every single dollar that we get uh, toward our Patreon is is appreciated and it really, really does help us make more of the show. Uh, side note, I'd love to do something for reaching and passing 100 patrons. So if you have any ideas, please message us on Patreon. Uh, we always want to hear from you. Speaking of, you can always make your voice heard by tweeting us your thoughts and feelings about the show at 10 Very Big Books. You can also email us 10VeryBigBooks at gmail.com and as always. Thank you so very much to Dan Gesrick for making our spectacular logo. You can follow him on Twitter at Dan Gesrick for a question about the last time the Islanders were in the Eastern Conference Finals. And of course, the wonderful music in today's episode is by the one and only Amaranthon from their album Simulant Rain, which you can find along with their other music on bandcamp.com. Links to their pages will be in the show notes and 10 very big books. We'll be back in two weeks on September 25th, talking about House of Chains, chapters 23, 24, 25, and 26. And then we will be done House of Chains until we talk about uh, our final thoughts and the mailbag episode and uh, our eventual interview with uh, author Steven Erickson. (sighs) But that is a few weeks from now. So for now, uh, I'll say talk to you then. And thank you so much for listening. I play Fortnite sometimes. I'm not good at it, so I don't. But if I was, I would. (laughs) You can put that in the show. Yeah. Um, it's just wild. I think I th- typed it in. I said, I, I tell you, who still play fork knife? And it just says nerds. So <laughs> you also did say fork knife. <laughs> yes, that's, that's the game, isn't it? <laughs>